So, welcome back, everyone. If it works to have your video on, it's great. I uh, love to see people as we're meeting, so if that can work for you, very much appreciated. So about, uh, about three weeks ago, we started a, a one-week meta retreat, and I, was, I felt very energized and inspired by uh, that retreat. We had about 95 people, and everyone practicing metta about 16 hours a day, intensive training, and I was uh, wondering what to uh, talk about today. And I felt, I felt drawn to bring in exploration of loving-kindness or metta practice uh, today, partly because it's been uh, very important for me personally over the years. Uh, you know, I think I was basically a kind person, but partly with uh, my own uh, conditioning, partly as a you know, a boy and young man and so forth growing up when I did, uh, I wasn't really trained to have a good connection with my own kind heart, even though I think by my nature it was there. And so it's something I had to learn. Loving kindness practice has played a large role. And it's still very, very central. I find myself just very, very commonly um, going into a situation, having the strong intention, let me bring kindness into this situation. Let me, in various ways, infuse uh, loving kindness into the situation. And I also, maybe I'll mention this a little later, one of, uh, one of the ways I practice loving kindness is uh, when I do lap swimming which uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a former, as I've mentioned from time to time, I'm a former competitive swimmer. I did that competitively for about 12 years or so and when I was younger. And anyone else a co competitive swimmer in your history? Wow, cool. That's great. And so um, I still swim a lot. I still swim laps about five times a week. And when I swim laps, I do loving kindness practice. You know, one lap per being. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a roster of 16 beings. I typically do eight laps at a time. And I do eight from half of the roster and half from the other, you know, part of the roster. And my next uh, time I do eight, then I, then I repeat. So they, they each typically get three or four laps for my 16 significant beings. So there you go. Um, so I felt I felt inspired to uh, to talk about meta practice and encourage it. So um, and it really it really connects with the um, the core of our practice. You know, I you know if I have to uh, be very brief and summarize the nature of our practice, I would say it's to develop wisdom, love, or care, or kindness 
and skillful action. And many of you know the very common image that's used to describe the teachings, the Dharma, the practices. It's said to be like a bird that has two wings. One wing is wisdom and the other wing is compassion, which really is a stand-in for all the qualities of what we might call the awakened heart. It's a stand-in for loving-kindness and compassion, joy, equanimity, other, other qualities of, of the kind heart. And I've been very influenced um, for probably 25 years by um, learning from a friend, um, a Vietnamese monk, uh, Thich, Nguyen, um, Thich Minh Duc, who, who uh, for a number of years also taught at San Jose City College under his lay name. Uh, some of you may have even studied with him, uh, Tan Nguyen. And so um, uh, Thich Minh Duc, uh, had been a senior student of Thich Nhat Hanh, and he knew very well, uh, in fact, he later wrote a PhD dissertation uh, on the history of engaged Buddhism in Vietnam, and I actually uh, was his guide for that dissertation. We worked together. And one of the things that he told me, based on his knowledge of the history, was that in the 1930s, when the Vietnamese were sort of accelerating their anti-colonial struggles, they felt a need to modify the usual model, which said that the um, essence of the practice is wisdom and compassion. And they wanted to add a third core quality of courage, which was linked with action, I think. And I also thought it significant uh, that, uh, you know, was a, Vietnam was a French colony, and in French, uh, the courage is linked to the word for the heart, uh, cur. Some of you know that, C-O-E-U-R. And so, I, it, you know, so there's a lot of resonance saying that we need wisdom, compassion, and courage. And I also thought it was like uh, the courage was like the body of the bird. There were the two wings, but there's also the body. And so that has really uh, stayed with me, that there are these three core dimensions of our practice, uh, wisdom, compassion, and then skillful action, which often takes courage. And so we train really in, in all of these ways. We, we develop uh, mindfulness, which helps us to develop wisdom. We work with the wisdom teachings. We develop loving-kindness to open up the heart. Guided by the ethical guidelines, we, we act in the world, including wise speech, uh, non-harming, uh, many, many other ways of action. And we actually um, typically train in these initially separately, much like just we did, like we just did with loving-kindness. We do it somewhat separately and then we, uh, then we integrate it with the other practices. So ultimately, loving-kindness gets integrated with mindfulness and wisdom and skillful action. We learn how to bring 
loving kindness out into the world, out into our actions. Uh, Sylvia has a very nice uh, one-liner. Uh, Sylvia Borstein says, kind of combining mindfulness and loving kindness, may I meet this moment fully, may I meet this moment as a friend, which really brings together those. So we cultivate loving kindness initially separately, then we gradually integrate it with the other practices, and then we bring it out into our lives in various ways. Uh, you know, we, we can practice in all sorts of ways. I have people I work with who very actively bring loving kindness into, for example, um, the health profession. People who bring it into nursing. One person is a midwife. And loving kindness is wonderful because it's, uh, it really can be brought into everyday life well. I have several people who are working with loving-kindness who have young children. It's very conducive to bringing into uh, to parenting. And then bringing it into larger world can be harder. Doesn't the larger world need a great deal of kindness and care? You know, we think of what is probably on many people's mind, what just happened in Memphis with uh, Tyree Nichols. How many of you are pretty informed about that? You know what's happening there. So uh, now I was thinking of um, um, <clears throat> Dr. King initially, you know, raised with a Christian tradition of love. He said he initially thought that, you know, love was just a matter of what you felt in your heart and in interpersonal relationships. He didn't initially think you could try to bring it out into the world. And he said he was deeply influenced when he read Gandhi and studied Gandhi. And he said Gandhi was the first person he knew of who was able to say we can bring love out into the larger world and have it be a basis for how we act with the larger society, with institutions and so forth. And, and so his horizon, his sense of what he was always aiming for he called the beloved community. That was, can you imagine that being more and more widespread? It's a long way. Doesn't it seem like a long way sometimes when you look, we look at the world with its conflicts and wars? But I think that's the, that's the horizon that we can hold as, as practitioners. So what I want to do in, in my uh, talk is to briefly talk about the nature of metta or loving-kindness, talk about how, again, fairly briefly about how we cultivate loving-kindness, talk about some of the difficulties that we may have in developing the kind heart and bringing it into our lives. And then I'm hoping to make time to uh, have a brief guided meditation that teaches a second main way of practicing metta. In addition to the use of phrases, there's a second beautiful way, which is my major way of practicing, which is more uh, coming out of the radiating heart that goes out into space with kindness. So I'll, I, I, I really love uh, teaching that, so I want to bring that in at the end. So what is loving-kindness? 
The word is metta, M-E-T-T-A, in the original language, uh, Pali, and it's, I think, uh, Maitri in, the, uh, in Sanskrit. It's connected with we- uh, words in those languages which connote uh, friendliness or friendship. And one thing we can think of is that in most cultures prior to the last hundred years in the West, friendship was a much more central part of life maybe than it is now, even with Facebook, (laughs) right? Uh, That, right, you know, for maybe the last hundred years, not very long, sort of the center of many of our emotional lives are romantic relationships. Most cultures in the world didn't work like that for most of the existence of humanity, and friendship and community played a much larger role than it does now. And so that's part of the context when we think of metta with its etymology and friendship. It's actually a deep quality of care and, and connection, you know. And so that's, that's uh, helpful to remember. One of my colleagues, Anushka Fernandopola, thinks of loving-kindness as uh, she talks about it being unstoppable friendliness. We could think of it warm, expansive friendliness that ultimately touches all. We can think of it also as goodwill, as kindness. We may even use words like love. I really love uh, a phrase that the... uh, late teacher Ramdas developed, he talked about loving awareness. Loving awareness, I, I, really, I really like that. And metta, or loving kindness, is very connected with other qualities, we might say, of the awakened heart, uh, such as compassion, uh, joy, equanimity, and we can also even connect it with other qualities of the, of the kind, responsive heart, like gratitude, forgiveness, um, uh, empathic connection, and so forth. So it's a very, very uh, beautiful and actually very, very ancient intention to be deeply connected with kindness, love, and care. And it's beautiful that this can be a major way to uh, organize and unify our lives, and that we have uh, we have an option which uh, comes from ancient times and multiple traditions to have whatever we call it love or kindness or warmth or goodwill or metta at the center of our lives again ultimately integrated with wisdom and how we act in the world. This is from 2,600 years ago from the Metta Sutta. These are some selected words. This is what should be done, referring to the cultivation of kindness and warmth. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Listen for the resonance of very, very ancient vocation, way of uh, understanding one's life. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness 
and who knows the path of peace, wishing to all beings, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded. How does that sound as a way to live? Anyone like that? <laughs> okay. You can have a sign-up sheet. Uh, and we find this in multiple other traditions very beautifully. You know, I, I've, I've sometimes gone looking for expressions in multiple spiritual traditions. Here I'll just mention three traditions. In Jewish tradition, a line from the Talmud, the highest form of wisdom is kindness, from several thousand years ago. From the Christian tradition, this is from Thomas Merton, 20th century great contemplative. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business. In fact, it is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. And then lastly, from the Islamic tradition, this is the, the great poet Rumi from, I think, the 13th century. Love is the water of life. Drink it down with heart and soul. How does that sound? Okay, so that's Rumi from the 13th century. So we get a sense of this ancient, even uh, timeless intention. And again, there are um, ways that we can really practice this as a meditation practice and then find ways to bring it into our lives. So some different ways of practicing loving kindness. And we, in the guided meditation and probably in probably most people's background, you know the way of working with phrases. Um, we, we work with phrases. And interestingly, uh, I think I, I mentioned this, that um, we have people coming to our metta or loving kindness retreats from multiple traditions, rabbis, ministers, nuns, who say there's nothing quite like loving kindness practice in our tradition. In our traditions, really interesting. And that something like the systematic way as a contemplative practice to open the heart. You know, I, I want to keep on asking that question, but that's what a number of people have told me who are very well versed in their own traditions. And so we, you know, we have these, uh, we have this core practice, the one that's probably most uh, out there, uh, is the use of phrases that are evocative of loving kindness. And this practice probably is not the practice that the Buddha offered, but it comes from a compilation from the 5th century by Buddha Gosa called The Path of Purification. And We've received it through some of the teachers, particularly from, from Burma, influenced by that text. And so we have the repetition of phrases that tend to be evocative 
of loving-kindness. And a key here, as I mentioned in the guidance, is that with the phrases, we choose phrases which tend to bring about warmth, you know, you know, like my first phrase, may I rest in the awakened heart. And that tends to really resonate with me. We choose phrases which are resonant, but we're not trying to manufacture or produce it. We're inclining in the direction of warmth or kindness or love. That's what the phrases do. And sometimes we feel it and sometimes we don't. So I think of the practice with the phrases as an intention practice, not a production practice. Really crucial point. It's like we do our best and <clears throat> with the phrase, and then we either experience a little bit or a lot of warmth or kindness, or sometimes we experience what stands in the way of practice. That's essentially what metta practice uh, leads to. We either experience the kindness and warmth or what gets in the way of it. That's it. And so it's really important that we sort of do our best and let it be what it is with the phrases. There's also a second practice, which I'll, I'll lead in a moment, called radiating metta, which is a little more embodied and uh, energetic, doesn't typically work with phrases, although we, we can kind of have a hybrid, where we radiate out warmth and kindness from the heart in all directions, much like what I read from the Metta Sutta radiating kindness over the entire world, you know, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths. And this is um, more likely how the Buddha taught loving kindness. You get it going in the heart in some way, in some way you do that, and then you let it radiate out. I'll come back to that. And then another way is of bringing loving kindness into the... Um, into one's life. You know, I have one person I worked with, we developed a practice where many, many times during the day, she would say, what's the kind thing to do right now? Beautiful, simple practice. You ask that, if we ask that five times a day, our lives will change, right? It's bringing the intention of warmth or kindness. What's the kind thing to do right now? She was raising an infant at the time and it played a big role in her, in her child upbringing. And so the loving kindness, we incline towards kindness, and then we see what gets in the way. That's the essence of the practice. And sometimes stuff comes up, like I mentioned in the guided practice. I may be doing loving kindness to someone who's like a, teacher, a mentor, an elderly um, relative who I feel really warm towards, and I say, may you, be, may you be happy, may you be safe. And then I notice a comment saying, you're already doing pretty good. What about me? Or we, we try to bring loving kindness to ourselves, and we often notice uh, blocks. Anyone notice when you bring loving kindness to yourself, sometimes it's not easy, right? That's very common, right? that there sometimes are blocks, sometimes related to uh, the judgmental mind, self-judgment, and so forth. The reason that uh, loving-kindness ultimately works is that, according to the teachings, our deeper nature is that of warmth and kindness. 
It's said that deep in our being is what in the classical texts and the teachings of the Buddha is called the brightly shining quality of mind and heart. That's there for everyone. All beings have this. It gets covered over. And so it's said that when we actually touch that loving kindness and become more free, it's said our, our growing liberation glows like the sun and the moon when we connect with the loving kindness. But it gets covered over by our stuff, by social conditioning, by difficult experiences we've had, by our wounds, uh, by our pain, and so forth. And that's, you know, that's one of the challenges of our practice, that we find this very much when we teach retreats, that when we incline towards loving kindness, we sometimes find the stuff which blocks the heart. Sometimes it's our wounds, our pain, for some people even uh, aspects of trauma can be there. And sometimes we need to work to heal those places. Some healing can occur in the meditation. Sometimes we need to do some of that healing outside of meditation. You know, so that's part of it. Another reason why loving-kindness can be challenging is related to the reason that much of meditation can be challenging is that we get distracted, our minds wander. Anyone have that issue? Okay. I should see all the hands go up with that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. For some people, two hands went up. Okay. So, um, distraction is an issue, and we, one of the things that happens as we develop more mindfulness and more loving-kindness as we develop more concentration and the mind gets stable. When we do the one-week loving-kindness retreat, people are more distracted the first day, but over time uh, the concentration develops. You know, for some of us it's actually hard to access the heart because of wounds or conditioning, like in my case, you know, I, I, I mentioned that when I was first doing loving-kindness, it didn't seem to work much. I didn't really feel much. I just was going through the motions with the words. You know, I remember the first retreat I did, it was before there were actually were retreats for loving-kindness, and I was doing it on my own, and I didn't think I was getting anywhere. And then I actually noticed during breakfast when I wasn't even meditating, but I had been doing loving-kindness the last few days, I said to myself, without intending it at all, over breakfast, I love you. And I said, where did that come from? And I said, maybe it's working. Okay. And so I kind of stayed with it, and over time it developed. But, you know, it can... For many of us, it's not always easy to access the kind heart for, again, some of the reasons I gave, social conditioning, you know, wounds, our own, our own pain, and so forth. And um, so I think probably um, maybe next week I'll talk more about how to work with some of those issues. But I wanted to uh, give some time to teach a second way of practicing which is called radiating metta, which I love. And I, I do this, um, I practice a lot. And it can be a very powerful way to, to be in the world. 
So just a few minutes of introduction, and then we'll do the practice in about the last uh, 15 minutes before we go to uh, discussion. It's a pretty short practice. As I mentioned, there's evidence in the text that the way that the Buddha taught loving-kindness was not through the repetition of phrases. Although the repetition of phrases is not in conflict with how the Buddha taught metta, but it seems more likely that the Buddha taught metta through kind of developing warmth, kindness, love in some way, and then letting it radiate outwards. Like in that, in that uh, passage I read from the, his text on metta, here's another uh, very common passage that we find multiple times in the discourses of the Buddha. And this is, this is, I think, an example of the radiating metta. One abides, having suffused with the mind and heart of metta, one direction of the world, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, and so above, below, around, and everywhere, in all and to all as to oneself. One abides suffusing the entire universe with metta, with a mind and heart grown great, lofty, boundless, and free from enmity and ill will. How does that sound? Anyone want to hang out with metta that suffuses the entire universe? Anyone want to? You can raise your hand now. Sign up. Okay. Um, great. Great. I saw some late hands there. Okay. So, um, that's, that's the introduction, that it's a very, very beautiful practice. So let's do this for about, maybe about 10 to 15 minutes, and then we can open things up for sharing how the experience was, as well as any questions you might have. So if you need to stand up for a minute, just to feel comfortable for these last 10 or 15 minutes, feel free to do that. You can move around, stretch a little bit, you know, be ready for sitting quietly for another 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, so let's start. The way we start is first we get the loving kindness going in the way that works best for you. So this may be to do your practice with the phrases where it flows the best. We'll do that maybe for three or four minutes. In some way, um, get the loving kindness going. Bring your attention to someone with someone or some place or a tree or a flower which evokes warmth, goodwill, the open heart. Let's do this now just for three or four minutes. Bring your attention to whatever tends to open up the heart. And then see if you can actually locate it a little bit in the center of the chest. Okay, about four minutes now.
And now see if you can feel a sense of warmth or energy, of kindness or love in your heart area. As many of you know, in many traditions, there is an understanding of the heart center, sometimes called the heart chakra, which is right in the center, central area there. See if you can feel some energy in your heart, connected with warmth, kindness, love, and begin to let that energy radiate outward, left and right, front and back, above and below, filling up the space, the room that you're in, or the area, if you happen to be outside, just the small area right around you. For most of us, filling up the room that we're in, having a sense of the entire space being filled with the energy of warmth, kindness, goodwill, meeting all beings. Maybe there's some plants in the room as there are in mine. Meeting all beings with this wish that they be well. Can imagine radiating energy going out from your heart, left and right, front and back, above and below. Meeting all beings in the space with the energy of kindness, of metta. And now letting the radiation go out a little further in the area that includes the space you're in, but goes a little further, maybe the, the building you're in, maybe the area around the building, the sense of radiating out in the six directions, filling the space, meeting all beings in the space with warmth and goodwill. Now letting the radiating go yet further. Imagining the radiating of warmth and kindness going out from your heart, left and right, front and back, above and below, and feeling the, maybe the area of the town or the city where you are, radiating out in all directions, meeting all beings with the energy of loving kindness. Filling the space, filling the, the area.
Now letting the energy of loving-kindness move out yet further. Again, some of you may find it helpful to visualize the energy of the heart going out left and right, front and back, above and below, filling a yet larger area. It might be something like a state or a province, even a, a country if you live in a small country. Filling up this entire space, imagining the radiating going out in these directions, in the six directions. meeting all beings with the energy of metta, loving-kindness. Now letting the radiating metta go yet further, imagining filling the continent that you're on going out in all directions, meeting all beings in the space with kindness, with love, with goodwill. Now going yet further with the radiating metta, the radiating loving-kindness out from your heart in the six directions and filling the entire earth, going out in all directions, being with the entire earth, wishing well for all beings on this earth. all beings in the space. And now finally, moving out with the loving kindness in all directions into space without any boundaries, letting the loving awareness be boundless, be immeasurable as it's often described in the text. Let it go out in all directions without limit meeting all beings 
with the metta, with the loving kindness. As it says in the text, radiating kindness, outwards and unbounded. And now coming back just to being present in your own space, feeling the energy at the heart, letting the visualization fall away, just being present. This can be a wonderful practice to do both as part of your meditation. And as you get good at it, you can bring it into different social situations. Uh, you know, you can do it on public transportation. Fill up, uh, you know, a vehicle, a public transportation vehicle, a bus or whatever, rapid transit with uh, radiating metta. Can do it at a meeting, especially if you're not in charge. It's easier that way. <laughs> uh, you can do it um, just in your yard with, with other, other beings. Uh, can do it maybe at a family gathering, something like that. Anyway, it, it really can be brought creatively into uh, daily life. Uh, especially if you practice it, you know, just on your own. So let's just take a moment to be quiet, maybe a minute or so, and see how that practice worked for you, and see if there are any questions you'd like to ask about anything I mentioned in the talk or about that practice, anything you'd like to share. Just take a minute or so, see what's there.
So again, thank you very much. And I'm pleased to have been able to share this. It's the first time I've shared it on a Wednesday, I believe. So this particular practice, which has been important to me. So anyone want to uh, ask anything or share something? And again, if you if you can put your video on, it's appreciated. So it looks like uh, um, uh, Lisa Marie and then uh, is it um, Sierra? Yeah, please. Lisa Marie and then Sierra. I have a question that I'm actually quite frankly a bit afraid to ask or reluctant to ask. Okay. Um, but is there any evidence that this practice has any effect on others? What I, one thing I appreciate about Buddhism and is the um, is the is the intellect behind it, and yeah. so my question comes from respect for that part of the tradition. Yeah, that's a, it's an important question because it, it really relates to something that I didn't say, which is that um, as we typically teach loving kindness, we say that the main effect is on oneself. The main point of the practice is to cleanse one's own heart and purify one's own heart. And I think, I think that's, that's true. But then there's an also a question, if I'm practicing loving kindness towards another, does that actually have an effect in the world? And there has been some research, you know, and I think, I think there are a few different dimensions or ways to answer that question. Uh, there is plenty of research on the role of social networks in health and healing. For example, um, that's a little bit indirect. It's not saying that my meta practice will heal, but if someone knows that there are 20 people doing meta practice, for me, and I just had surgery, there is research that shows that that social network plays a huge role in healing, whatever one is doing. So that's, that's, that's a little indirect. That's one piece. I believe that there's also been some research that works on a little different level that does actually show, seems to show the effect of people doing loving kindness without the other person knowing. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I, I'd have to, you know, actually a colleague of mine was responsible for some of that research. I think some of it was done with NIH, you know, with some of the funds. But I'd have to research that. I haven't looked at it for some years. Um, but that's my, my memory is that there is some research. It's not something that's, you know, really solid with 20 researchers supporting it. But there is some support for, the, for people doing... Uh, the effects without people knowing that one's one's actually doing the the meditation, and again, it's it's probably you know I mean, contemporary medicine is just beginning to go into what's sometimes called energy medicine. So we don't you know medicine doesn't necessarily have the conceptual framework even to handle a question like that. So. Anyway, thank you for that. Maybe I can come back next week and give a report. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Sierra, please. Uh, hi, Donald. Um, 
I wasn't expecting to do loving kindness uh, meditation, and I'm thrilled that we did. Um, I yeah. was in your retreat with Kyra Jewell, actually, in oh, yeah. December. Yeah, I was um, 38 weeks pregnant, <laughs> and then I, um, yeah, I was really infused with uh, by the last day with all of our loving kindness, and um, that was my introduction to it. And wow. um, two days later, I went into labor. Oh my god! And <laughs> I just wanted to say uh, thank you, and I'm happy to be doing this again with you today. Wonderful, Sarah. And what's your what's your new one's name? Enzo. Enzo. Yeah, so. <laughs> Beautiful. And so it would be about... Uh, six about weeks. Six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, it even helped me um, somehow through the labor. It was just, uh, it was great timing. So thank you. Wonderful. Great you can be here now. And we'll, I'm intending to stay with Meta next week. And possibly I come back also in three weeks. So very possibly then. So yeah. great. great. You're wonderful to see Enzo, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, Barbara, please. Um, of course, I love this practice. And I I don't know where, but I have heard and done radiating matter with you somewhere along the way. But what I want to know is something very practical. When do you fit all these different practices in? Like I have a morning practice. Yeah. I haven't been able to get to a second one each day. Um, even loving kindness. I mean, there's just so many wonderful ways to practice. Yeah. Do you switch every day? I mean, I just do Adam do some meta which could take a while if um if you go through all the steps that could take the whole time you're sitting maybe yeah, i yeah. don't know i no, just so it's, it's a really important question uh, thanks barbara um <laughs> i think first of all see what in terms of which practice to do see what calls you uh and see well, i think they all at some point okay I love. Yeah, yeah. So see what calls you sometimes in the moment or for a period of time. Uh, I think of loving kindness practice as something that if you do it at least 10 minutes every day, it will be alive. And so, you know, see if you can find maybe a time in your formal meditation when you do it. It also is really amenable to being done outside of formal meditation. You can do loving-kindness, for example, if you're ever having a meal on your own. You can do loving-kindness. Like every night? <laughs> yeah, like if you, if you uh, have a meal a day where you're like that, do loving-kindness during the meal. When I go on retreats, I typically do loving-kindness all three meals uh, at retreats. So it can really work well. And it could also be maybe if you take a walk, you can do loving-kindness. I think of... Uh, Minimum of 10 minutes a day will keep it going. And so it can be done sometimes more easily than some other meditation practices in uh, everyday activities, you know, particularly where it's simple, like taking a walk, you know, eating, uh, you know, something like that. Because then I'm fitting it in between the gratitude practice, which I have. That's a big part of my life and yeah. different during the day. I mean, it's like 
If it feels like too much, then just prioritize. Yeah. Uh, I just, and and yeah. I, I like to think that if you have at least one heart practice, that's what's important. So if gratitude is your main practice, then you may not need metta, but see if there's a way that you can fit it in without it feeling like too much or, oh, got to, you know, doing all this. That we don't, I just we don't wondered really... when, how you also fit it in, um, maybe on your Sabbath day, I don't know, how you fit all these yeah, different um, I do it, of course, swimming. Right. <laughs> I do it sometimes during meals. Right, okay. And I try to infuse it with my, kind of my awareness practice. I guess an intention would be to infuse it more throughout the day. That's right. Um, these specific ones. That, and that's then... right. And it, again, it manifests in different ways. Like, remember that practice, what's the kind thing to do? Go into a gathering with a friend or some activity and just say, or even could be coming on Wednesdays, and let me bring kindness. You can do radiating metta on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank okay. you, Donald. Again, not taught by the Buddha, but I've taken the liberty of... I know. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Uh, Victoria, please. Um, I don't think there's going to be time for my question, because um, it's massive. It's um, um, Maybe I've, do, a, do a chunk of it. Take maybe... Yeah, it, I'm going to... I'm going to give you the question, and then, and then uh, we can talk about it. I'm glad you're bringing the subject back up in the next few weeks. Um, no, it, it relates to the um, the parallels in the different faith traditions, oh, yeah. and um, and from I'm I'm extremely well schooled in the Christian tradition, um, particularly the contemplative tradition, um, and uh, to some degree in the others, and um, and I. From my experience, it seems like it's right that that there is no actual parallel, and, which intrigues me. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to the question, and this is what maybe we can talk about next time or the time after or whatever. Um, the what um, what is the relationship between metta and prayer as it's as it's um, expressed in other faith traditions, and it also relates to the the person who asked about. I think it was Lisa Marie about the. Um, sort of like like empirical or scientific results, yeah. um, because traditionally prayer that that's also you know like as opposed to like sort of some sort of magical thinking um, that if you pray for someone to be healed they will be healed. Um, rather, the sense that the prayer is primarily thought of as to soften the heart, and um, you're not you're praying without a particular expectation of outcome. So so those are kind of the general. Yeah. parameters of what I want to ask. No. Thanks, Victoria. Really interesting questions. Um, Sylvia, you know, being particularly well acquainted with Jewish tradition, often speaks about metta as fervent prayer. Hmm. She uses that language at times. And again, I, I was surprised to hear, you know, when we had rabbis, nuns, ministers come to our retreats and say, we don't have anything quite like this in our traditions. You know, I, I don't, that's what they told me. I'm going on what they said, assuming, because these were professionals, right? You know, who, you know, who knew more than me. So I don't know that from my own research, but I know it from what I was told. And it's really, really interesting. And so, yeah, in terms of the effects, uh, um, I don't know that there's material in the Buddhist text uh, about, okay, 
how does this affect others? I'm assuming that is a sense that it that it does, but you know, it's not, I don't. I, I can look for that maybe and, and bring it back next week. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Victoria. I think we had one one more person. Did let's see. Did we have uh, Nancy. Were you on online with a question? Uh, yeah, I didn't think you would you would have time. Um, relative to Lisa Marie's point, um, this isn't scientific research. It's a it's an, an anecdotal example. I had major surgery at the height of the pandemic, and no one was allowed to come wow. with me into the hospital to accompany me. Um, and I had let all of my sanghas know when I was going to have the surgery and what. And when I walked into that hospital all by myself and was sitting in the waiting room, I was not alone. I was very aware of all the people who I knew were wishing me well. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, I mean, that's just one person and one example. Um, and the other thing is the, the reason that I do meta practice is um, you, you talk a lot about reactivity. And there are habitual responses we have. And the reason I practice metta is because I want to incline my mind towards kindness. Yeah. So that when I am in interactions with other people or in other situations, that my habitual response will be one of kindness rather than some other form of reactivity. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's um, it can work in so many ways. And I'll bring... I'll bring some of that um, further into talking next time about how Meta can help with reactivity. So thanks, Nancy. Thanks, everyone. Let's take a few moments in our in closing because we're we're at time now. First, just to let me invite people. How many of you would like to bring in Meta practice at least ten or fifteen minutes a day in the next week? How many would be inclined to do that? Let's do that, and we can compare notes next week, okay? So set your intention, or maybe, maybe back up, let me back up. Bring to mind what you have found helpful from today, maybe insights or energy motivation. Bring that to mind along with your intention for the next week, especially related to metta. And then we'll close with the dedication of merit, which is related to the metta for all beings. We remember that our practice is done for our own well-being, for the well-being of those in our lives, but then beyond our own circles for the benefit of all beings. May we offer the benefits of our time together to all beings, knowing that it includes us. So, thanks everyone. Thanks Carlita. Yay, Carlita. Yay. And I'll do my little goodbye. Thanks everyone.
And feel free to unmute if you want to say goodbye. And we'll see you uh, see you next time. Thank you, Carlita. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Carlita. Thank you, Thank you, Carlita. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Carlita. Thank you, Carlita. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Donald. Thank you. Thanks, Carlita. Thanks, Carlita. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.